Hi, everybody. Wynn Claybaugh here, and welcome to this issue of Masters. And I just want to thank all of you for over 20 years, actually since 1995, we have been doing these monthly podcast interviews. Even before the word podcast even existed, we were sitting down interviewing incredible, incredible leaders and mentors and heroes and, and teachers and coaches. And, and today is no different because I'm sitting here with Dr. Julie Folks. Uh, first of all, Julie, welcome so much to Masters and thank you. You don't even know who I am and yet you said yes to this. So so thank you. I, I appreciate that a lot. Well, I appreciate the invite and I have been given so many good stories, you know, by one of your coworkers that I feel like I now know you on a, you know, on some levels. Well, you know, usually I track people down because uh, I'm always looking for leaders and famous people, so to speak, uh, who are making a difference. But then you also hear about people who have credibility, meaning they may not be out there tooting their own horn. Maybe they don't have their own books or their own podcasts or their own TV shows, but their daily activities build credibility and therefore they have a message and therefore they have a story to tell. And, and I think that that's kind of how I came across you. So thank you so much for that. Well, I, I appreciate that. And, you know, as a college basketball coach, I have always enjoyed the mentoring and leadership, but really, I think the the leadership of culture has been the part over the 19 years as a head coach that I've really gravitated towards and then found all the ways that it crosses into all organizations and businesses and, and families. And that has been a part that I have really enjoyed exploring and then having the chance to share with different groups and uh, and now you and I, and I'm excited for that. Well, if this can be a platform to help get your message out, I am thrilled and honored to have this opportunity. Well, I haven't even shared with people who you are and your bio, which I'm going to read in a minute, but I like what you just said. It's that culture of leadership. And, and in some organizations, there's no such thing as a culture of leadership or a culture of joy or a culture of fun, but you better do it my way. We're going to get the job done, even if it's miserable, even if it's painful. And maybe that can exist often in the sport world? I, I think so. I think often things have become transactional. And I think at several levels of athletics now, it's it's turned that way. And and maybe you see all the negativities with transfers and, and different things that are outputs of that. But I don't believe we were built to ever thrive in transactional situations on a daily basis around culture. And And so I think for us as a staff, we try to the other side of that and be transformational and how can we grow the student athletes that we are involved with and how can we help them meet all of their goals? And so not just on the court, but how can they grow as people? How can they grow as students? How can they grow as citizens? And when you put them into that sort of transformational experience, they become invested in the process too and getting better. And that is when I think you really see cultures start to thrive and have a chance to do great things. Again, we haven't even introduced you yet, but you're you're already into this. And I, I have a question for you. So when you talk about this stuff to your circle, when you talk about a culture based on leadership, how can we help them? How can we focus on the human being? And then that's going to translate to their performance on the court. Do sometimes your colleagues look at you like you have three heads? Absolutely. Uh I think in some ways what we're doing is very different and and different than the norm. I, as a former player, now coach, 
you know, in the United States, especially basketball, it is one of the, you know, it's one of the professions there isn't, you know, degrees necessarily as an undergrad and intense teaching. You really take what you learned as an athlete and then you do that. And, and, you know, the old days of, you know, probably the screaming and yelling and all of those sort of things that just became inherent to how you coach and culture. I, I very quickly knew that's not who I was as a person and had to figure out how do I tie my personality and my beliefs about how we should all interact within a college athletics team. And then in the back of my mind, I always wondered, okay, if you're doing it this different, can you win at the highest levels? Oh my gosh, I am loving this already. And I know that people who know me personally, right now they're thinking, wait, wins? Interviewing somebody who's a coach, somebody in the sport world? Like, you know, that's that's a big joke. You know, like uh, I used to joke with Magic Johnson about I loved his career as a baseball player, you know, so he would just <laughs> laugh at me. And so I know anybody who knows me, they're laughing at me right now. But trust me, this is all about credibility. And I just love your message. So let me share with people who you are. I'm, I'm going to read this. So Dr. Julie Folks is finishing her ninth season as the head women's basketball coach at Transylvania University. This past season, the Pioneers won the NCAA Division III National Championship and finished with the perfect 33-0 record. By the way, is that even how you say it? It is how you say it. That was wow, perfect. Wow, I got something wrong. Okay. Yeah. So during her leadership at Transylvania, Coach Folks has guided the team to nine consecutive winning seasons with a combined record of 211 to 38, including six NCAA tournament bids. Additionally, the Pioneers currently hold the longest conference home winning streak in the nation. Prior to Transylvania, Coach Folks began her head coaching career in 2004 at Lewis and Clark University in Portland, Oregon. During the 10 years, the Pioneers posted seven winning seasons and made three consecutive NCAA tournament appearances while attending a national ranking of fifth in the country. Coach Folks has been named Conference Coach of the Year seven times in her career and coached several academic and athletic All-Americans. In addition to coaching, she holds a master's in education, a PhD in leadership studies, Folks' professional experience also boasts several speaking engagements and consultations regarding her areas of expertise, including transformational leadership, communication, efficacy, and leadership communication. So, gosh, I, I hope I am a big part of spreading the good news about who you are and the message that you have and how this message needs to live, not just in the coaching world, in athletics, but also in, in business and in personal relationships and family dynamics, because it truly is something that's that's monumental. And again, you have credibility here. You have credibility. And I'm so, so grateful to have this opportunity with you. So thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I, I, as I said earlier, I, I appreciate you having me and the chance to uh, talk with you and, and, you know, learn as I go from you as well. And I, I love having that back and forth. Well, we've already mentioned the word culture several times. And so I just want to ask you from the research, it appears that your team's culture exists at what you call a very high level. So what are the ways that you have built that culture and advanced it forward? Yeah, that's a great question. I think you know, when we talk about culture, we are talking about how we are going to interact every day 
what are our values and visions? And then what are we going to pass down, you know, to future generations and in our team with that, what will we pass down to the next team in the next season? And as the leadership, the custodian of that culture, it is my job to have a very clear vision and a very clear system of communications. And I think many leaders have some ideas in place. And then what's really hard is how do you take your group and have them start to interact and behave at a level that is improved and adapting. And, you know, we have our three pillars. And I think for us, that starts our system of who we are. And they're very simple and that is purposeful and how we originally talk about them. They are show up, work hard and adapt. And we, we've taken that message and we really have tried to expand upon that. And so, and, you know, the initial show up, if we are talking about baseline average culture, that is just being there on time, you know, doing the minimum. And when we talk about showing up with our students, especially in the day of cell phones and all sorts of distractions, we are talking about a much higher level of being present. Be where your feet are. And then not only being present, how are you going to help the group move forward? And I think that is a, the starting point for us. That is our baseline uh, of what we're asking from them. And then we have, you know, our second pillar of working hard. Uh, and then the third and adapting. And I could go through very long explanations of both of those. I, you know, I don't know if we want to go one more than the other. But for me, the adaptation piece is what I have really enjoyed leading as a group and how are we going to change who we are if something's not working in the moment? How are we going to look at the overall systems in place that have been handed down to us and do they work? And then how do I adapt as a leader to those around me? But those things are our, our primary core of what we're doing. And then we need to be the leader and guide them daily to figure out how do those really play out in our culture so that we can improve and be better. Well, first of all, I like the fact that you can name what the three pillars are because <laughs> some leaders can't even name what their belief system, some family members, some parents don't even know what their family stands for and what's our mission statement and our purpose as a family. But I also have to ask you, so these three pillars of show up, work hard and adapt, is that a message that you delivered one time or it's hanging on a poster yeah. in your office and that's the only communication that you've had? Or, and what I'm thinking is, this is stuff that you talk about all the time over and over and over again. Yeah, I it's an all the time daily. I really believe if you're going to improve your culture, it has to be at the forefront of everything that you do. And so it is very easy in any of our organizational settings when we show up to practice, when we're doing things in the community, it, it all ties together. And, you know, we want to do everything with grace, gratitude, and a servant's heart. And when we do those, we want them to know what that means. And, you know, so we're going to show up, we're going to work hard, we're going to make mistakes. And when we make mistakes, we need to give a lot of grace to all of us when we make those mistakes. You know, when we're there and everything's going great, it's easy to be grateful. When things are tough, that's when we really want to talk about the gratitude. But it has to be tied into everything that we do, that this is who we are. We're reminded who we are. We talk about when it's going well. And then more importantly, we talk about when it doesn't go well 
you know, what might have held us back? How are we going to fix that moving forward? And sometimes that's collectively as a group. And sometimes, you know, that's a one-on-one conversation, but, you know, we all have to be moving forward and learning from the things that haven't gone well and what behaviors are holding us back so that we really have a chance to chase our big goals like national championships and whatever else their big dreams are. Well, so you talked about grace and gratitude. Oh, and by the way, I'm taking notes because I already wrote down show up, work hard, adapt. Now I'm writing down grace, gratitude, and servant's heart. And that's such a great point that you made that it's easy to be gratitude when we're winning. Yeah. It's easy to show gratitude when we have money in our pocket. It's easy to show gratitude when our Yelp reviews are stellar, but maybe gratitude really comes into play when those things are not happening. What about the servant's heart part of that? Yeah, I think great transformational leaders start from the question of how can I help? And when I'm working with young coaches, I think that is a great way to help them think about the mentality of what our jobs are. At our core, we're educators. We are we are using our sport to help a group of student athletes move their lives forward. And if we go into every conversation of how can I help, it makes everything a lot easier. We, in our group, we really value sharing leadership for multiple reasons. I look at it as my job to serve everybody below me. It is my assistant's job to serve everybody below them. Our seniors' jobs to serve everybody below them in the effort that those of us with the most experience and the most probably relevant knowledge, we're helping share that with the new people and you know, it is up to our upperclassmen and us to help the freshmen and sophomores figure out, okay, how do we do things? And more importantly, why do we do things the way we do? And, you know, our team would tell you, I'm a giant science nerd. There's no way around that. And when I first started doing this, I've really always enjoyed the systems and the biology and the neuroscience behind why we do certain things. And That's kind of always been one of my fallbacks is explaining, hey, we're doing this because we also know that this builds trust in a group. We have some different things built in that we're always doing, and I can always bring it back to the neuroscience or the science or the stats. But I think the why is so important when you're working with any group, whether it's your family, you know, a business, everybody at their core really wants to understand why they're being asked to do things and how does it fit into the mission of the group. You know, a statistic that 50% of people who quit their jobs did so to get away from the boss. Absolutely. So it wasn't necessarily because they weren't being paid enough, although that could factor in. It wasn't because of the long hours, although that could be factored in. By the way, those who quit aren't the worst team members. They're not the worst employees. They are the best. The best quit because they know they deserve better. The worst, they stick around because they know that they're lucky to have a job. And so when you talk about this stuff, especially things like sharing leadership and the why behind what we do, because old school leadership is that I dictate. My job is to control you, manipulate you. It's my way. I'm the boss. I have the authority. I have the power over you. My my job is to police you. I'm going to catch you screwing up and doing things wrong and And you ask an audience of a thousand people, because I've done this many, many times before, how many of you ever had a boss like that? Every hand goes up. How many of you want to go back to that type of a job? And of course, no hands go up. And so 
what what you're sharing is just monumental, not just in the world of leadership and culture and making money and and hiring and and retaining team members, but just in life in general. And when you talk about that question, how can I help? How much are you considering that team members or that employee's personal life? Like, does that play into it? Is are you into that? Or because I'm thinking that some coaches and some leaders say, I don't really care that you're struggling at home. I don't really care that your boyfriend broke up with you. You know, that how does that play? Leave that at the door. That yeah. doesn't play well here on the court. Uh, how much do you take that into consideration? Well, I I think if you're trying to be an excellent leader, you cannot remove a part of a person's personality and the things that are going on with them outside of your environment. And a great story that I think for our team certainly resonated is this past year, we were very successful. And the, the year prior, we went 27 and one. And that year, many of our players had very hard things going off the court. We had a player lose a parent to COVID. We had car accidents. We had a lot of really hard things. And when you walked in the gym, as a collective group, we could not pretend that some of our members were going through life-altering events. And we have a term for that. We call it purple. Uh, that's one of our systems of language. Uh, and that <laughs> entails a very big group hug. But it's more important an acknowledgement of, hey, we have somebody here that is really going through things. And sometimes that's coaching staff. You know, our, our lives, our outside lives impact who we are on the court. And I have often found you know, when a player is struggling emotionally or different things, you know, it usually can be led back to a different type of stressor. And so we're together six months out of the year and we can't pretend that there's not going to be really big and hard things that happen outside. And if I don't care about the whole person, it is hard for them to trust us as a coaching staff because there are really real things. And I think since COVID that has been just exasperated on many of the, the trying times, including, you know, whether they were in high school or their first few years of college, that has really affected who they are and how they view things. Wow. So it just feels like this interview is, is swinging the pendulum towards this is what it takes to be a good leader, a good teacher, a good mentor. And then we're also swinging the pendulum towards maybe you are that, that student Maybe you are that brand new person getting hired on at a company. Maybe you're just now launching your career and this is great information. So you're, you're covering all kinds of bases. But I have to ask this question. Do you feel like that future employers are noting a lack of graduates, fundamental leadership behaviors and communication skills? Absolutely. In fact, my dissertation was based around the change in communication skills that are currently happening because of cell phones. And, and when I talk to college athletes, as you can imagine, they just immediately bristle a little bit. If I talk about our cell phones, you know, having negative effects, and there's obviously a lot of data to that. And the flip side is it's a really easy thing to think about when you just think about practice. When I was growing up, obviously we didn't have cell phones that dates me. And we just had a lot more practice of having communication. So one-on-one -on -one conversations, reading body language, group conversations, and a lot of that has changed. And because that's changed, it's changed confidence levels and their ability to communicate. And, you know, I think as college educators, it really is imperative 
for us to do what we can to address those communication you know, deficits. And I think college athletics is one of the areas that we can address that head on because you know, communication is so fundamental and we can help teach and we can help them practice those skills. But I think there is a lot of data that is concerning about you know, the future of how do we lead and communicate. Uh, I would be somebody that is on the, the page of, I think remote work is hard. I think we are just naturally meant to do things together and, you know, that builds trust and camaraderie, you know, and so somewhere in the middle, I think there's going to be some interesting outcomes to how this all plays out that we will see in the future, especially in leadership. Sometimes I, I think that in 20 years from now or in 50 years from now, we're going to look back and as a society think, what were we thinking? Why did yes. we allow that to get so bad? And uh, maybe I'm hoping that will happen. And by the way, I'm certainly guilty of this as well. But if we're talking about employers, I heard from a, a good mentor that a study was done that major employers are saying that empathy is down. Yeah. You know, you're not born with empathy. You learn empathy and empathy means, you know, Julie, you and I have been friends for 30 years. And and so if you walk into the room and there's something going on in your life, you don't have to tell me I can read it on you because I know every facial expression. I know your moods. I know your energy. And Julie, what's happening? What's going on? And maybe that goes away. Why? Because we're not looking at each other. We're communicating. We're social, so to speak. And I use that word lightly. Uh, we're social through our phones, through a device. Did you see that documentary where they were, there was a high school where they said no more cell phones. And of course, all of those students were really upset about that. But then they interviewed them three months later. And what was the response? Oh my gosh, they loved it. In fact, they had cameras on the lunchroom at that high school and then cameras on the lunchroom of a high school that did allow cell phones. And, you know, of course, night and day. Yes. Where no cell phones, they're laughing, they're exchanging, they're interacting with each other and how much the students love that. And I think that I don't think that we could talk about that enough. And so so how does this what my friend, my mentor was sharing with me, how does this apply to getting a job or being successful at your job and why employers are concerned? If you don't have empathy, can you truly deliver good customer service? And the answer is no. Well, I completely agree. And and you know, when you will enjoy to know that one of the things that is a pillar in our team is when we have any meal, we don't allow cell phones. And for that very reason, it is fun to watch them connect, interact, and they will come back and tell us that they actually love when their cell phones are mandated away from them because they have an excuse. They can say that was my decision, all of those things. But we recently, we had our, our summer basketball camp and you know, as an adult, we would have breaks and then I would watch, you know, a hundred campers go over and they would all pick up their cell phones. And, you know, internally that would just hurt my heart because I just think about all of the things and all the challenges that come out of, you know, this cell phone culture. And, and we both know things like empathy that are so important in their daily lives, not developing that skill, that's going to have real ramifications in the future in everything, families, work, you know, anything that they need to have a great relationship for, that skill set matters. What are the boundaries uh, in your personal life with your family when it comes to cell phones? You know, I think for us, 
when I come home and I don't need to have my phone, I love to get rid of it. <laughs> and I think for us collectively, that is where we are. You know, and I appreciate that. When we go to meals, you know, we do not have cell phones with us when it is just at night and, you know, we're hanging out. And, you know, obviously as a college coach, you know, I, I can be gone a lot during the season. And so when I am home, it is high priority that I value being home and that that phone has a disconnect. And, you know, I think with our relationship, those just matter that when we are together with other people, we can understand how important it is to put them down and really be present. And that the pillar of showing up, working hard and adapting, I think, you know, those have become really strong pillars in my own life. And, you know, when I am with my family, I want to value that time and I want them to feel valued and not have my phone with me all of the time. You know, it's so funny. I, I ask mentors and leaders such as yourself to talk about this. I read articles about it. I read books about it. And yet I still suck. I mean, I'm, I'm getting better. I feel like I am because I have an 11 year old daughter. Yeah. You know, how important it is to be a present dad. You know, th these pillars that you shared show up, uh, work hard, adapt. Oh, my gosh. To raise a, a wonderful, strong, beautiful little girl, you better believe I better be practicing that. I better be believing and practicing grace, gratitude, and servant's heart. And yet I grab that stupid phone yes. when I shouldn't. Credits to the, the programmers who understand the neuroscience. They have created a highly addictive device. And, you know, they understand why our brains become addicted to them and they have done everything to maximize it. And, and I understand too, there have been plenty of times that I, you know, I'll be reading a book and then all of a sudden I'll be like, oh, I have a weird urge to check my cell phone and don't need it. But it's kind of, you know, obviously we are being trained by our phones and that is a really hard habit for all of us to stop. Okay. Well, I feel a tiny bit better, not much, but a little bit. Thank you. So you utilize the phrase joy in the journey to focus on the present with gratitude. You say avoid judging our entire season together based solely on winning a national championship. Can you expand on that? Yeah, I think, you know, when I have looked back collectively on my career, I can think of, you know, the moments where not being able to be present and or control my emotions in those moments have had huge effects. And, and as someone who seeks different ways to handle stuff, you know, I think I've really enjoyed the growth into meditation and different things. And, you know, and the underlying theme of meditation is being present and, you know, not having the past or our future impact who we are in that moment. And that is something that, you know, I still fail at consistently in terms of being able to stay in the present in that way. But it's one of the things that we talk a lot about with our players, because I really believe one of the amazing things of athletics and one of the things that, you know, they crave is that when they are fully engaged in a game, you really can't go into the past or present. And so that is, you know, this moment where you really feel at your core, you know, fully alive. And so we talk about that, but it is still human nature to go to those things. And, you know, we knew, I, I think, you know, big goals can sometimes paralyze people. And it was a really fun postseason ride because we went into a season where we knew we had the talent to win. We, you know, we knew all these things could go well. And when they were, and we got to go into the postseason really, I believe our approach paid off because our team would attack games fearlessly. 
And part of that was one of our conversations was, hey, last year we went 27 and one. The ending was really, really terrible. You know, it was heartbreaking, but we lived through it. So if that is our end result, we already know that we're going to make it through. And the flip side is rather than worry about any of that, how do we go into this and play fearlessly and attack being, you know, our best selves without worrying about past or present? And so, you know, every Monday during or after actually every game in the postseason, it was one of our most fun things we did as a group is that next morning when we got together, we would talk about what brought them joy. And when I originally did this, I thought we were going to be talking about, hey, things that you personally did that, you know, you were doing to bring joy to the group. And then what inevitably happened is it morphed into talking about things other people did that brought joy to them. And, you know, these unexpected praise, which we know is really important in building trust, that was happening around everybody just celebrating what happened the night before that brought them a lot of joy and I thought that helped us through the postseason be able to approach each game with that mentality of we're just here to be the best we can and we're not going to worry about the outcome. Wow. So I, I like this message of we cannot go into the past or the present. Can you give us some more advice on that? Like what, what's the downfall? So like give us an example of, of you're in the middle of the present and somebody wants to relive the past and bring that negative energy into the present. Can you give us some examples of that? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, you know, so I'll, I'll stick to the basketball piece. You know, we had an upperclassman who, you know, in a previous year, we got in a little dicey game because we missed some free throws that mattered. And, you know, now here we are in the present and we are stepping up to, you know, the line and all of a sudden a big things happen. So in fact, it did happen. We were in the national championship and the same young lady came to the line. And, you know, if you're going back into the past, which we've all seen players do, and now you're thinking about that, it obviously has an effect on your ability to perform in that moment. And versus us saying, yes, that is in the past. It happened. I accept that. But I'm not going to let it play into my future. You know, I think that is a really powerful skill and obviously really hard and takes you know, a lot of work at, but whether it's, you know, how things happen in previous relationships, you know, those things are finished and we learn from them, but continuing to beat ourselves up or, you know, to constantly kind of go through that spiraling effect of reliving. And, you know, we, we need to be able to come to a point where we can accept what we've learned from it and then move forward and let that be done. I have to tell you, I have to work at that so much. And my mantra for that is everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. I have to repeat that to myself. You know, things don't happen to me. Things happen for me. And, yeah. and the reason why they're happening is to make me better, is to make me stronger, is to bring me something better than what I experienced in the past. But that's a constant, constant mantra. That's a constant. I have to remind myself and repeat that to myself a, a lot. Yeah, I read a, you know the book, uh, The Power of Now, and it's on my phone on an audio book, and I go back to it all of the time because for me it has been one of the best teachers in terms of learning to stay in the present and you know enjoying that moment because it really is the only moment that we are guaranteed to have. And so being fully in the present and giving it the respect that it is due, 
you know, and that is a, you know, rewarding experience because now you really are taking in everything that's happening in that moment. Uh, but I agree that sounds really good. And in practice is a much harder thing to do. People listening to these masters podcasts, they love the stories. They love getting to know who you are, um, but they also want to know, okay, great information. Yeah. She just won a national championship, but what about me? And I, I want our listeners to make sure that they didn't miss it because you gave some very, very clear ideas. So when you talk about that, you cannot go into the past or present and uh, you you gave some real how to ideas like this uh, exercise that you have, what brought them joy. And you thought it was going to go one way and it went in the way of them sharing and celebrating the victories of what their team members did that brought joy to their experience. And so I mean, right then and there, I hope people didn't miss that because you're thinking, how do we not go there? Well, you do exactly what she just said to do. Get your team together. You know, it's so funny. People will start off their companies, their stores, staff meeting with, okay, uh, anybody have any problems? Right. <laughs> really? So that's what we're going to talk about here? And you're like, okay, what brought you joy? Yeah. We, we have this acronym called FACE, F-A-C-E. And the whole idea is that we find, we acknowledge we celebrate and we enjoy. So let's find what's working. Let's find the joy. Let's find how we can celebrate each other. And then let's, let's acknowledge it. You know, catch people doing things right. Let's acknowledge it in front of everybody. I saw so-and-so do this. I saw that person step out of their comfort zone and really went out of their way to help another team member, to, to help a customer feel welcomed within our store. That's the acknowledge part of it. Celebrate it. Let's talk about it here together. Let's look at that person and acknowledge. Good for you. Congratulations. And let's just enjoy this experience. Let's enjoy this energy that we're having with each other. And But that's a behavior. That's a yeah. skill set that you have to implement. Otherwise, you know, the stuff that you're sharing is just in theory only. Well, you will love knowing I read an article in the Harvard Business Review and it was about building trust in organizations and, and it approached it from an economic impact because of the value lost when you have disengaged employees and how trust matters. And so from a neuroscience perspective, they went into what are the five things that build trust? And one of them is what you just mentioned. It is the unexpected praise. It is finding the things that people are doing well and celebrating them. We use the phrase, praise the behaviors you want repeated. So if we are in practice and one is doing right and one is doing wrong, we're going to talk about, you know, what is going right. And inevitably everybody listens and wants that same praise. And, you know, it's a really powerful tool in building connection. I love how you guys are doing it. Again, because I have the opportunity to spend time on stage or one-on-one -on -one with other business leaders and other business owners, this is stuff that I, I want to talk about a lot. And I remember once, telling an audience like, you know, you, you have to catch your people doing things right. You know, mm -hmm. somebody shows up to work every single day all year long. And once they show up late, all of a sudden, aha, I caught you. And that's what we acknowledge. And, and you just right. said it too, what you focus on starts to grow. And so I was telling this audience, you know, you have to catch them when they show up on time, you celebrate that. You know, when they leave their station clean, you celebrate that. When they had a wonderful exchange with another team member uh, or with the customer, you acknowledge that and you celebrate that. And I had a business owner raise his hand and said, I'm not going to do that. That's their job to show up on time. That's their job. Oh, and then get this. He said to me, 
how do you soar with eagles when you're working with a bunch of turkeys? I'm like, well, there you go. You think that your people are turkeys and guess what? That's how they're going to show up. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that kind of, I mean, that just hurts my heart at my core in terms of who we all are as people and what we need in terms of our leadership and what what makes us thrive. And I, you know, one of the best books I ever read that I, you know, there are a few that have impacted me, but one of them, you know, was essentially the uh, power of gratitude and positive, you know, optimism. And essentially through that transactional punishment model, you know, you can, you obviously can move people forward. It, it works. Um, but, you know, it's the transformational model that moves them further. And so, you know, as a leader, if you really care about, you know, soaring with eagles, you know, there's all the great research in the world that shows if you are doing it the transactional way, you will never get as far as doing it by caring about people and collectively as a group. Wow. Well, why can't people be more like us? What's wrong? <laughs> oh, well, you know, maybe it's just the cultures that are handed down to us and then, you know, figuring our way through it is a hard battle. Oh, thank goodness. Thank goodness. And I, I love it how you 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 had to sneak it in your neuroscience uh, <laughs> geek side of you. You know, you I knew you would slip it in somehow. There, good for you. It is it is a core to who I am. I can't I can't deny it. As it should be. So, <laughs> thank you for that. So, how do you, how do you show vulnerability? And do you feel like that's important to show your personal vulnerability to the people that you're coaching and leading? Absolutely. You know, I think it shows up in lots of different ways. And, you know, sometimes it's through storytelling where it is, you know, talking to them about, you know, whether they're going through a struggle and, you know, similar struggles that happened with them. But, you know, real connection comes from two people having a vulnerability to talk about things that are hard, things that scare them. You know, our team knows that after we went 27 and one, I really know that I had not coached that last game very well. And, and in our postseason, it was important to me that they have to publicly, you know, essentially be judged. We have a scoreboard and those sort of things. And sometimes as the leader, you know, you get let off the hook and it mattered to me that they knew, hey, I didn't do my job either. And, and these are the things that I'm going to do to make sure that I do a better job. And you know, there are just different things that if we want real connection, and obviously there are a lot of great leaders on this. So, you know, I think Brene Brown did a great job, um, you know, a decade ago, really starting this conversation. Um, but it's really true that until they know who you really are, you can't connect. And and so we've got to be open about all of the things that matter to us. And, you know, we, I think one of the reasons that we really like sharing the leadership and, and sharing these different things in our team is we all have different skill sets and, you know, I'm a natural introvert. And so there are some things that to me that are uncomfortable when we did the postseason, I was not somebody who enjoyed all the postseason interviews and accolades and, you know, and our players knew that. And, but it was also important that we did those things. But, you know, one of the things that I enjoyed with the players is we also had a couple that were real extroverted and they loved that. And so we really want to try to get people in places where they get to be who they are and thrive. And my job as a leader is to know who they are and figure out, okay, how am I going to put you in these places that you can be you and thrive? And we're all different and that matters. But until we're all vulnerable enough to say what are our strengths and what are the things I'm not great at or uncomfortable at, I can't thrive in this area. 
you know, you can't really do that effectively. Hmm. When you do do that as a coach, as a leader, where you do say, gosh, I'm, I'm not really good at this, or this is something that I struggle with. Do you then find that your other leaders, your other team members, your other coaches, or even the, the athletes that you are coaching, do you feel like they then have the opportunity or the permission to step up and fill in those blanks for you? Yeah, I think that's a great thing. I want them all to feel like they have permission. And, you know, as the head coach, I think my real job as a leader and one of the the pillars in adapting, you know, the third part of that is I really believe my job is to figure out what areas they all thrive in. And, and you know, the basketball analogy is easy because we have somebody who's our scorer, or somebody who's our rebounder, or our defender. We have to have all of those. But then that transforms to who we are also as people. We need to have those who are team cheerleaders, our enthusiasts. We need to have the ones that are a little more comfortable saying, hey, that's not our standard. You know, we need the ones. We had one young lady. She had one. She's a absolutely attention to detail. And her job the entire postseason was our NCAA patches on our jersey. And I laughed because I'm like, you are the only one I trust to do this job. Um, but I think my real job is to figure out who they are, what their strengths are, and put them in a place they can be successful. I think many employees or athletes, when you're asking them to do jobs that don't really align with their strengths, I don't think people are as happy as challenged. Now, obviously, we're never going to be able to do everything we all want to do. So there are the different parts of the job or as a team that, hey, today, this doesn't really align with who I am, and I've got to be willing and flexible. But it's much easier to be productive when we are we are asked to do things that really align with our strengths and what brings us joy. And, and so I think my real job is to figure out how to fill in the blanks, whether I like it or not, right. <laughs> and to let them thrive in what they're great at. Gosh, that's such a great message too. Cause I, I, you know, I, I can easily be the type of person that talks people into doing something that they don't want to do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's not always, I mean, for the most part, that's not a good thing. Because then they end up putting time and energy and then later good friends are, have come back and said, you know, when I, I I didn't appreciate that. I did it because you wanted me to do it, but it's really not something that brings me joy. And so I have to, I have to be careful of that because I'm really good at talking people into things, you know, people yeah, for I whatever reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I bet you are. <laughs> wow. You know, and I think it's a hard thing because when you are a leader, you know, you're still tasked with putting people in uncomfortable situations. You know, we talk about all the time, no growth comes from the comfort. And so figuring out, okay, how can I challenge and grow you in an area that you like, but it still makes you uncomfortable. We had a senior who graduated this year and she was very introverted and um, I'm not really sure, you know, whether I took it as a compliment or not, but when she graduated, she had told me about all the times that I was really, really hard. And I don't think she was very happy that I put her in public speaking circumstances and, and she was great at it, but then, you know, she was very grateful that it happened, mm. you know, but trying to figure out, okay, what are things that are either growth situations that they really need, you know, versus, okay, does this align with who they are? And is this, you know, obviously there are, there's plenty of value in doing things that are hard and outside of your personality but I don't think that's where people thrive as much. Wow. Okay. So you, you already confessed 
or shared with us that you're a natural introvert. And so maybe me asking this question is asking you to step outside of your comfort zone. But when we were talking earlier about how 50% of people quit their jobs to get away from the boss, I, you know, I'm wondering with some leaders and bosses and coaches, do people walk away and they say, yeah, we won. We won the championship. Yeah, we made a lot of money, but I never want to see that coach ever again. And I have a feeling that what's happening <laughs> in your world is uh, former athletes and maybe even parents are coming back to you a year later, 20 years later and saying, you know what? You saved my life. You helped my kid get off the couch. You gave my child hope. And we didn't know that that was possible. Thank you so much. How often does that happen for you? And I'm, I'm, I guess I'm asking you to share that so that other leaders and coaches, people listening to this, understand the power that they can have, not just on the court, not just to win that game, not just to put money into their own pocket, but to have lifelong opportunities to change people and even save people. Yeah, I think, you know, obviously we've been very fortunate and I've had, you know, parents and athletes and you know, I think about who I was when I played and, you know, all the things that you don't understand when they're happening in the moment. And, you know, then you go out into the real world and then you start to realize where did these lessons come into play, you know, understanding, doing things for the, you know, the bigger group and, and, you know, how are we able to put the group goal in front of ourselves and, you know, and admittedly, I, I had a parent who sent me the nicest letter and a different one who came and, and sat down in my office. And, you know, we were able to go back and kind of talk through, you know, their daughter's experience. And, you know, and obviously they said a lot of very nice things and I'm really grateful. But I also know it is a collective effort. We have a, you know, I am so thankful we have some of the best assistant coaches in the world. And so I never want to take credit from probably many of the things that they did but I do think, you know, many of us, when we are in it and it's uncomfortable and it's hard, you know, it's hard to understand how you're going to look back on it. And, you know, and on the, you know, both sides, I can think about the things that I also did not do well and, you know, how that shaped me in terms of learning and being better now, you know, ultimately, you know, we want to get it right every time. And, you know, that matters to us as coaches and leaders and, and mentors that we are able to figure out how to help and, and knowing that while you go through it, you know, not everybody's going to enjoy that process. You know, athletics, especially it's, you know, playing time and those things play into uh, how people view the experience, but hopefully later, you know, they're able to see the big picture. And, and I've been very grateful. We've had many great families and parents and players who have been very supportive and come back and, and help us continue that culture. And so very lucky. That's a great answer, but I also need to, uh, I'm sure other people caught it, but I just caught it too. As you're giving the answer, you're exemplifying what good leadership looks like. See, bad leaders, when things are going great, they take all the credit. Bad leaders, when things are going wrong, they blame everybody. But good leaders, when things are going great, they share in the victory. Uh, good leaders, when things are going wrong, they take responsibility. I'm responsible for this. So thanks for exemplifying that as well. You know, as we start to wrap things up, not that I'm done because I have more questions here, but so your team won a national championship this season with a perfect 33 to zero record. And I want to know what that meant to you. Oh, and by the way, I was play by play as this was going on because I had dinner literally, I think a week before 
your final championship game happened. And so I was at dinner with the parents and with their daughter who was on your team. And then as this was happening, I'm getting text messages. Okay, Win, here's what's happening. Oh my God, Win, they just won. And so I'm getting text. Did, did the game happen in, in Dallas? It was. See, I was I was play by play. I was I was before I even heard of who you are or met you. I was uh, sharing in this incredible victory that you got to experience. But this was personal for you. What did that feel like? It was amazing. And, you know, as a leader of this group, you know, especially for me, I knew what our seniors had gone through and they'd had some really challenging things they had to overcome during their four years. And it molded them in terms of who they were as a group. They are a very close knit group collectively as a team. Um, I think challenges and adversity, you know, can go one of two ways. And I think in great cultures that brings you together. And so it was a group going into this that really for a bunch of different personalities, I mean, we hit every box in terms of different personalities and, and different things to watch them come together. I, you know, I think my biggest takeaway was we live in this, you know, obviously a pretty divisive time. And here's this group of women that could have every reason to be divided and finds ways to come together. And it's kind of this you know, proof that, hey, this can still happen. We can still be different and come together for common goals. And to watch that play out for them, you know, in the moment, it was honestly pretty surreal. I think my introverted self couldn't process all the emotions that were happening. And then, you know, as time went over, I've, I've rewatched that game and, and talked to different people who watched it from all over. And you, you know, you start to realize the impact uh, that was had on the community. And, and that, you know, there's a lot of just being proud, but I said in one of the talks, you know, I think one of the great takeaways is that grace and gratitude really are competitive advantages. And if people understood that better, they would change how they led. And for me, I think it was a little bit of a, you know, vindication that you can do it this way and still reach the pinnacle. It doesn't have to be this other, you know, former method. And and so that was just great fun, you know, to be able to do that in Texas. It was the year of Title IX, so we got to do, you know, play Division One, Two, II, and Three. And I love that our team, you know, people would ask about all the distractions. There were red carpets. There were all sorts of events. And our only message to the team was, we are going to enjoy it all. And, and that doesn't mean we are not going to show up ready to play and compete at the highest level, but we are also going to enjoy the whole experience. Uh, and I know they appreciated that approach. I like that because sometimes we we do all the other things. We take all the other steps of acknowledging the, the victory, but we don't sit back and just take this in, breathe this in, enjoy this moment. Good for you. Some of the messages today. Oh my gosh, I'm going to go back and listen to this. Talking about the three pillars of showing up, working hard, adapting, your beautiful message about grace, gratitude, and having a servant's heart, about sharing in the leadership. There are so many takeaways. But as we wrap this up, I want to ask you, talk to me as though I'm between the age of 18 and 25. What's your message to that age group? I think the first is understand who you are. I think, you know, the reflective process of what do you enjoy? What is your inner core? You know, what makes you radiate and beam and, you know, love life? You know, figure that out. And then how can we, you know, take who you really are and celebrate who you are and help that meet your goals? But I think that process of being introspective and reflective is such a huge part 
to understanding, you know, where to take your life that, you know, the sooner you can start learning how to do that, you know, the better off you're going to be. And, you know, and then really start living your life, you know, put the phones down um, and start engaging and chasing dreams. You know, I, I love people across all walks of life that are passionate about what they're doing. And, you know, they're not scared of failure. They're not scared of setbacks and they go and attack life. And so, you know, whether that is inside athletics, outside athletics, I have found that I gravitate towards people that have that mentality, but it really does start with that core of knowing who you are and knowing what you enjoy so that you're willing to go after something and it doesn't feel like work. Wow. And so I think that's an important first place to start. Hey, now talk to me as though I'm a coach, I'm a leader, I'm the boss. What message do I need to hear? How can you get your employers or your athletes to work for the mission of the group if you are never allowed to use authority and power? You know, how can you get somebody, get a group of people to move passionately towards something if, the, if you don't get to, you know, in the coaching world, you know, okay, if you don't do this, you know, you're going to run. If You know, those sort of things, you know, the transactional outcome punishment. If you don't ever have that as an ability, I'm, you know, threatening job, threatening whatever, how are you going to lead? And, you know, I think for many, because that's the model they've been handed down, it's really hard to start figuring out, okay, I'm not allowed to do that. Now, how do I get somebody to do something if I am not allowed to use that as the carrot? Wow. But I think, you know, on the flip side, you know, when I'm working with young coaches, we start there, but, you know, there needs to be a lot of give and take on, okay, what are some ways that we can do this? How can we get people to buy in? You know, how do we get, you know, expectations met? What do we do when they're not meeting expectations? You know, I mean, it's a lot of learning and you still have to figure out what your own personality is. There's obviously a lot of ways to lead effectively and it still has to align with who you are and, and how you view life. Wow. That is absolutely perfect. I can add nothing to that. Because I think we do want to rely on that old school style of leadership. And that is we threaten. Yes. We pull out the big stick. We can do that as parents. We can do that as bosses and coaches and employers. And um, that's not the world that we live in right now. Yeah. You know, and every now and then I'm sure every now and then I do believe, you know, there's still the appropriateness and sometimes you still need to, you know, get attention. But that cannot be the normal. And, you know, it's like you said, people quit on their bosses. They quit on their leaders when they're in that circumstance. Um, and in the business world, that has high economic impact. Wow. Julie, I knew it was going to be like this. Just from, from learning about you before you and I even had a conversation and I listened to another interview that you had done. And then again, in talking with the parents of one of your team members and just to hear what they had to say. And I pursued it. They didn't come to me and say, hey, when you should interview this incredible coach, they as they were going on and on about you as the coach, I'm like, you know what? Can you tell me more about her? Can I meet her? Can can I maybe interview her? So I just knew it was going to turn out this way. Why? Because you had the credibility. So congratulations. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, always feel very fortunate to be able to do these things. And I've you know, since that moment, I have enjoyed listening to your podcast and I, I've been learning a lot along the way. So I have certainly gained a lot from this happening today by just listening to all your other episodes. 
Well, thank you so much. Julie, do you have a final message for our listeners? I think understanding the value of uh, leading your culture. And so whether that's the culture of your family or your group, your organization, your team, that you need to have a clear vision. And if you don't, then, you know, you have to start to live with what you've allowed. And, you know, whatever group you are in charge of or a part of, it has a culture. And so you get to, you know, choose to lead it or choose to live with it. And I think when you're, you know, you're intentionally choosing to lead it towards the positive, it's a great place to live life. And, you know, especially when you're doing that with grace and gratitude, it's certainly more fun and rewarding. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Incredible. Everybody. Take the time to listen to this several times, share it with your loved ones and maybe share it with your boss. Who knows? Maybe it'll help them. <laughs> but this was so powerful. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Julie. I appreciate it so much. Thank you, Wendy.